Welcome to the Trying to Be Better podcast with Joel and Steve. There it is. Hey, there it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Trying to Be Better podcast with Joel and Steve. My name is Joel. And I'm Steve. And this is this is a podcast. <laughs> it is a podcast. It is it is our podcast. And it, it is, is. Our pod- Steve and I were just <laughs> lamenting the grogginess. Steve yeah, went out and party last every, night. Everybody that's a fan of daylight savings time, raise your hand. Oh, I didn't dude, think so. <laughs> dude, fuck, dude. Straight out the gate, Chris. I give I give zero fucks. I hate daylights. It's pointless. <laughs> daylight savings time is pointless, ridiculous, archaic. Um, it needs to go away. Chris Booker mm-hmm. just did a whole video about how he's got a bill, and he's like in connection with a Republican senator from Florida. They're like trying to eradicate daylight savings time, and I'm one thousand percent behind that. I know we've got bigger fish to fry, but I'd love to fry this one. I'm here for it. I'm still saying that. I'm still saying it from last week. Uh, I'm here for it too. There I'm, you go. I'm in the th- I, I'm on the cusp of production week for the show at the Lead Center, and uh, you're oh you're boy. in the thick of it. Yeah, dude. And I totally went up on a line last night in a run, and I feel like I feel like a complete failure. <laughs> I feel like a I feel like a fraud, Steve. I think you're a human. There you go. You're a human. You do get to make mistakes, although preferably not, you know, during the show. Yeah, I'd rather make them now, but it right. still doesn't it doesn't feel good in rehearsal making those mistakes. But well, I'm going to go. Every, everybody's looking at you, Joel. Yeah, I thought about that. I'm like, I'm the only one thinking about me this hard and this long after rehearsal. Right. I'm the only one. It's weird. <laughs> is- it's weird. It is. How are you, yeah. man? How's I'm tired. Week? I'm frankly, I'm, I'm kind of wiped out. Uh, I'm excited to talk to our guests though, but uh, I went and saw Darren Keene last night at Bodega's Alley. Yeah. And then this whole losing an hour of sleep thing, but Darren was great. Totally worth going out past the bedtime, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just fun. Met some new people and it was good. I'm, the openers I'm, whose names are escaping me were cool. And um, um, Spencer Munson was the first Spencer, DJ. He, yeah, he right. did great. He was cool. Yeah. And then, um, dirty ether, I think was the, or mm. grim ether Grimmy was the ether. stage name of the second guy. And I don't, I don't remember his actual name, but whatever. He was really cool too. All, all original stuff. And yeah, it was fun. Nice. Well, Darren's, nice uh, Darren's heading out on tour, right? Yeah. Like Tuesday. So That's we chatted, awesome. yeah, chatted a little bit about that. I think that takes a tremendous amount of <laughs> adventurous spirit to, to he's touring via Greyhound. Yeah, dude. That's, that's amazing. Awesome. It's with awesome. a couple bags and stuff, and he just goes, you know. Yeah. So I think that's awesome. I've got yeah, I've been exposed. I mean, the because last uh, last night was uh, Darren, and last week was Orion Walsh, and mm. you know he just does that too. So I think that's amazing. That is awesome. Mad well, respect have, for those guys. Have a great tour, Darren. We love you totally. Um. So we have an amazing. Uh. We have a pot. We have a. Oh God. We have a <laughs> podcast. This is a pod. Jesus Christ. We have a Instagram. And yep. that Instagram is try- at trying to be better podcast. Yes. We have an email address and the emails just TTBB podcast at gmail.com. And our, in- our inbox is just overflowing. It's overflowing. I mean, I can't it's read all the emails. Read. It's too many emails. It's all, there's so many. It's almost like I can't see any of them. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, that's about it. I'll, yep. I'm going to turn it over to you because we have a sweet sure. guest who is so gracious to join us this morning. Yeah. So, so uh, many moons ago, a lifetime ago, I worked with our guest today. His name is Chris Steffen. Chris is a Lincoln resident and he runs Studio PH. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. I was hoping you'd do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, we worked together while Chris was, and you can, we'll get to the timeline. This is a little hazy because God, this is like 1995, probably. Four, I think. Um, yeah. All right. right. So um, you would come to Lincoln to go to school for sound engineering and you were living at a recording studio and we hung out and, um, and then we didn't, <laughs> I didn't see you for many years. And I think the last time that I actually saw you um, was at the mind morning jacket show at Pinewood bowl. Was that when it was, I, 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 I don't so. honestly, I don't I, remember seeing you there, but which I'm not saying well, I didn't, I'm sure ago. we did, but um, I did run into you down at uh, uh what the heck do you call it? Duffy's? No. Um, well, probably Duffy's too. But uh, I always blank the name of it um, on Bodegas? Y Street. Uh, not the Burkle. The Bay? Turbine, Turbine Flats. Flats. Thank you. I, Turbine dude, I, Flats. I, for whatever reason, can never remember the name of the Turbine Flats. What were, what, were, what were we doing at Turbine Flats? Uh, I think it was like a first Friday thing or something. So we were like, yeah, we yeah. were okay. gazing upon art, something like that. Sure. Actually, I Which think I might've been speaking doing. there, you know, like giving like a five minute rambling conversation about sound or something in front of a bunch of people. It was weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was cool, but I, well, I'll, I'll take your word for yeah, it. I don't remember mm. for sure, but it was sure. We run into anyway, each other every once in a great while. I I've, uh, you know, thanks to the, mixed blessing that is social media i've kind of been able to just keep tabs on you and you just have you've got a really cool thing going on and so i thought it would be nice to hear about all of that well thank you for having me yeah absolutely really appreciate it um you uh let's you want to start kind of at the beginning you're from hardington nebraska i am from hardington yeah yeah and uh and, and born and raised correct I was born and raised i i grew up in a in a remodeled country schoolhouse on the top of a hill Ooh. a quarter of a mile no away from an a like i guess you would call it abandoned uh gravel pit that had turned into a giant <laughs> lake where i huh? fished and built rafts on 55 gallon drums and swam in the lake when i wasn't supposed to and Nice. Threw my father's grill crate into the water one time or his grill rack into the water one time because I'd started the raft on fire. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a good place to grow up. <laughs> it sounds, sounds like, like it. it sounds um, amazing. It, it like, was, that sounds perfect. Yeah, you look at the, you know, a boy's life magazine. That was, you know, that was it right there in a microcosm yeah. right there. So three miles right out of town. Hardington wow. is north. Wait, is that yeah, right? Am I getting yeah, that right? Yeah, it's in the northeast. If you drove straight north from here, you'd be there about 175 miles. Do you know where you know where Gavin's Point Dam, Yankton, South Dakota is? Yeah, yeah. I so do. I actually have a I have a buddy I went to college with that's from Hardington. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's just down the road from there. So it's just south mm -hmm. of there. Uh, who was your buddy? Nathan Lang. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean i I don't know Nathan real well, but I know Nathan. Yeah. yeah, I think his family's still still there, and he'd love a shout out on the podcast. I'm sure that he's got he's got like 
the most ridiculous stories about Hardington. Like it just sounded like <laughs> ridiculous, like small town ridiculousness all the it time. It was. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it's like now. Cause I don't get there very often. My mom still lives up there. And so I go back and see her. But when I go see her, I'm you know, sitting in the house. Like we we right. wander downtown and eat at the bar and then, you know, go back. But like you do, like you do. Like you yeah. Do. There were some pretty <laughs> wild things that went on in Hardington while I lived there. It was, Oh, I'm sure. Well, that's what I remember is when we were hanging out is that it sounded like there was uh, kind of an active music slash party scene up there. And it was just a lot of fun. There was. There was. There's um, there's a lot of guys uh, that came out of there that actually went on to do some really cool stuff. Uh, like Ken Heine, um, he was playing with Live Skull um, a while back. I, I'm not sure if he's still playing with them right now. I think he may have settled into domestic life. But I mean... Pat Maker um, was with, I think, the Liars, I think. Um, and, you know, just a lot of different people that have come out of there and done stuff. I don't know how much nice. I don't know how much music is going on up there now. There's some, but it was really sure. active in the, you know, kind of in the 80s and the very early 90s. So, it was mm-hmm. cool. so what, uh, how did you get uh, to Lincoln, I guess? Uh, I, let's see, I... I graduated high school in 92 and I decided, well, I decided for lack of a better decision that I would come down to Lincoln and go to school for theater and trumpet performance. And that's a great combo as a theater person that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a great combo. Let me tell you. Um, And I, at the time I really didn't want to go to school. I thought about taking, you know, a gap year and, and stuff like that. Although I don't know that they called it a gap year in 92, but uh, I ended up taking a gap year. I just paid for tuition at the same time. And nice. so, I took a few of those actually. Yeah. So, I, I breezed through a four-year degree in six and a half. Oh, years dude, I'm I on it. the 32 year plan. I'm in, I'm yeah. in school now still working on that yes. bachelor's, you know, and I've got so many, oh, yeah. I've got so many credits now I could, I could graduate three times probably, but you know, <laughs> they all have together to a basically bucket. calling together an interdisciplinary studies major at this point but, but yeah so i got out of school there that that second semester i didn't even take my finals god help me and uh, uh i came out with a point zero four nice yeah, i that's a you're trying for the 4. i know but 0, it just but it got flipped yet. you know and yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so then I wandered back to Hardington and lived there for a little while again, um, ended up doing, didn't do much for about nine months. And then I, I snuck down to Omaha for a little while and lived with a friend and waited tables. And I went back to Hardington, did some concrete work. Then I moved back to Lincoln. And about a year later after that is when Steve and I met because I, I moved back to Lincoln to return to school. But, you know, I, you'll catch this theme where I go to school and then don't and then go and then don't yeah, um but nice. uh, uh uh anyway so steve and i met in i think it would have been 94 that seems right yeah that tracks that seems right mm-hmm. and i was living at and living at star tracker recording and um in the in the attic and then uh-huh. um steve <laughs> knows it too um i do very well so living in the attic and uh interning with brett um and working at super saver yeah right down the road right right, basically yeah like what three blocks away uh walking distance with steve erbauer yeah and so tell tell me about steve as a 
fellow coworker in the produce department. Be nice. <laughs> Steve was a good coworker. I mean, it was fun to work with him. Um, sure. He moved very quickly. I have never seen a man <laughs> cull apples faster than Steve Erbauer. Uh, Still yeah. a thing, actually. Are you? You're you're very good at culling. <laughs> <laughs> moving quickly oh well fair enough fair enough yeah um, yeah if you've funny. ever taken a trip with steve it's go it's it's all go it's all gas no brakes for this i guy. believe that actually until i collapse I very, until you have to slam on the brakes right. i really do believe that um yeah i have no doubt uh but yeah and and you and i hung out and uh, had some fun um well i just remember that i you know you were like trying to do something <laughs> You were you had a goal at that moment. I, I I had a goal, but no car to get there, so to speak. I mean, I was yeah, yeah. At, at that time. You know, I was I was an intern at the studio, but you know, and and I mean, to be fair, well, I'm not going to throw bread onto the bus, but um, you know, I was not a very good student at the moment. You know, I was sure I was. I I thought that you could be an audio engineer simply by having the will to. To <laughs> I really want it to happen. You know, I was like, wait a minute, yeah. I need to know what 1K means. You know, but um, yeah, you know, so you know, and I was still partying quite a bit at that point, you know. And yeah. so um I I matured not too long after that, but yeah. sure. But yeah, so I was interning there and recording a few albums and stuff like that, and uh uh, I remember Steve and I, we would jam and stuff like that too sometimes. Yeah. And well, we had, we had, we were the yin and yang of musical influences at that time. Uh, yes. Steve. Cause was, you were pretty, you know, punk centered and I was pretty dead centered. And it's just like, I think there was just a lot of friction there. I, well, I don't know if there was friction. I mean, it just, it doesn't come together as well as it could when one man wants yeah. to noodle for 45 minutes and the other man just wants to play three chords for three, you know? And so, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, later, you know, I think, I think maybe had we both been in different head spaces. We probably could have come up with something pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. But you know, I mean, cause there's, you know, there's plenty of groups over the years that have managed to kind of bridge those gaps a little mm, bit. Mm, well, you know. but you know, whatever, we I were think young honestly, and... you were a bit much better player than I was too, though. So, you know, I, oh, I, I, don't know I, about that. I couldn't really hang. I probably still couldn't, you know, but you know, I'm uh, still, do you play at all? I mean, I, are you playing do you in play? theory? Yes. I mean, yeah. I end up on people's albums without them knowing it just because I need something in there and I just need some chords played, you know, so I'll stick it in there. You know, I I do my own stuff um, on some level, you know, but it's sort of, I've never been a skilled guitar player. You know, I play the guitar and, you know, I Mm -hmm. have freaking 14 amps sitting here and and five guitars, but you know, God forbid I should learn the scale. Um, Right. And, (laughs) you know, but you know, I, I built the studio originally so that I could, I could record myself and then I found that the studio took on a life of its own and you kind of don't play as much as you would because you're working on somebody else's mix, you know, and that's okay. Sure. That's what I like to do. Yeah. So, so. what'd you, what'd you learn? Like when you were first uh, getting into the sound engineering recording world, like what were <clears throat> maybe what were some aha moments that sort of blew your mind and what, maybe what were some huge colossal mistakes that you learned from maybe i don't know i I don't know that world very well but i could imagine that they would be like 
you know, um, a real big learning curve, even if you understand all the equipment? Um, well, I mean, it kind of depends on what you're talking about. You know, I mean, with with this, it's sort of been, you know, I learned to do this in, lo- in large part the same way that I learned to do most things. And that is that I decide that I'm going to do it. Then I sit down and I begin to do it and I make huge numbers of mistakes because I'm not smart enough to go to somebody and go, would you please show me how to do this? <laughs> you know, and so. You know, and, and in the process, you know, people will come up to me and I was like, well, could you teach me how to record? And I'm like, well, yeah, I can, but I don't know if that's a very good idea. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, and I, I, that's a joke. I mean, like I can teach you how I to understand record, it. But, um, you know, I, 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 I can think of a lot of colossal mistakes, you know, and, and setbacks. And I suppose one of them was that when I was first building the studio, um, you know, Stephonic recording was what it was at the time. And that was out of this little house we had just over here in Oak Hills. And uh, my control room was the size of my storage room in here now. And it was like seven by seven by seven and a half feet tall by you know, like 12 feet deep, you know, and that was my control room. And it was a box. Um, but, you know, this was just at the changeover between you know, there's sort of that changeover of analog slash hard disk recording to DAWs, you know, in the early, mm-hmm. very early 2000s, where DAWs were becoming accessible, you know, as opposed to having to go out and spend $25,000 on a pro. For the, for the lay person out right. there, what's a DAW? Digital audio workstation. So, like, so I just hit my mic. Uh, pro Tools, for example, is a DAW. Um, sonar, well, sonar is dead now, I guess, but um, Logic by Apple, uh, Reaper, you know, all of these different programs that are for recording. And then you have your interface, which is like a, um, it's like this. Actually, uh-huh. so this is the one that we were fighting with earlier that didn't work right. Um, yeah, we might still be fighting that a little bit. Is actually. it still clicking? Of course. <laughs> A little bit. Well, you know, nothing That's like right. looking bad. Um, but, uh, but you know, your digital audio workstation is the software, and then your interface is the thing that takes the analog audio, turns it to digital, and and puts it into the into the system. So, got it. Because I remember at Brett's at Star Tracker, he was just starting to get into. He had this. Was it Iowa? Iowa? Akai. Yeah, he was using Akai. Akai well, see, that was one of the mistakes. <laughs> so, so Brett was using a Kai DR4s and then an Akai DR8. And then I, I don't think he ever has DR16, but the but you could take these DR4s and they were enormous. I mean, and they were like they were huge. They were huge. They had scuzzy drives that knocked yep. like a model T, you know, just while it was running. Yeah, it was noisy. And it was four tracks, and it was, I think three or four u deep i mean so it was like yeah. this deep well and it was three and a half inch drives right well yeah but there's only one in there <laughs> oh <laughs> but it was this tall and it was this deep in the rack and i mean dude they weighed god 50 pounds each and mm. and it was four tracks that could record on the yeah. hard drive and then you could sync them together into a into a uh into like an array 
So you could get up to 16 yeah. channels. But once you had 16 channels, you had this rack that was this tall, you know, and and it was all hard disk recorders that were just every one of them was clanking like crazy and they had fans blowing out the back yeah. and they were loud and, and they sounded like <laughs> shit. I mean, that's the big takeaway is they sounded like sure. shit. So anyway, hmm. um, that was what Brett had gotten into. And so when I started recording, he said, like, oh, you got to go get DR4s or DR8s, DR16, whatever. You know, it's one of these hard disk recorders. And because he kept telling me, he's like, you don't want to use a DAW. And I'm like, okay, okay. So, <laughs> so I went out and I bought these stupid things. They were used at this point. You know, they're quickly going down in price, but still not cheap. And so I bought a bunch of those and I used them for about six months, you know, mm. and um, and then I moved into another hard disk recorder. I had an HD24, which was like an Alesis hard disk ADAP, which I really only sold a couple of years ago, but I barely ever used it. Um, mm. But then I bought a whole bunch of like prosumer outboard gear. And spent a lot of money on it. And I never should have bought any of it. I mean, mm. what I should have done is gone out and gotten myself an audio interface and a computer and started working with that um, and, and getting a couple of pieces of choice gear. And instead, I spent is, is that, huge amounts of money on it. Is me. that because, like, that was right on the, the, yeah. the turn? Yeah, it was. It was of, of things being from analog to digital. Yeah, within within two years of me buying all that stuff, I had gone out and bought and bought a. Uh, it was a a Personas that old fire. FirePod. Firewire. Or, it was FireWire, but it was the eight channel one. Um, oh. which was built like crap. I mean, it would work half the time and have weird brownouts and shit. But, um, but the you know, point was is that you could begin to buy them cheaply, you know, at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, so anyway, I had a whole bunch of gear that eventually I just kind of wrote off and replaced as time went on. But that was my big and, mistake. And this was, I mean, this was all sort of an investment in a business, right? Because you were like booking local bands to record albums was that was yeah that I, I slowly just moved forward and moved up and up and up and up and up you know and i always kind mm -hmm. of for whatever reason right or wrong defined myself as um you know i am not a bedroom studio like mm -hmm. uh, my goal is to be a professional studio uh the clicking noise from this audio interface notwithstanding um <laughs> but uh Again, Chris, the stakes are real high here. Yeah, I know. Well, I just blame. Let's just blame Zoom because we're we'll doing this Zoom. over. Let's just blame I just Zoom. want you sure. to know that you can see all of these things moving up and down back here. And that looks cool yeah. no matter how bad it sounds. It does look cool. And for sure. we, we are audio only, but noted. <laughs> well, yeah. We are we audio only. This isn't even a video. So the only thing they're going to hear no. is my clicking audio. Jesus Christ. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> I thought. <laughs> It's fine. I hey, but the, the name of the podcast, Chris, is trying to be better. So you right. know what? We're all just we we're, we're just our flaws are out on display. Right. You know, we're, we're open and vulnerable. We're trying to be better. Shit. Trying real hard. Shit. Trying. You know, <laughs> you know how long I worked on the lighting in here. <laughs> <laughs> you look good. I took a you screenshot of you. Look, you it go. looks that looks like the kind of place I want to, you know, lay down a 45 minute solo for my, for my, you know, <laughs> I would, I would let album. you because I love recording guitar and bass. That's my favorite thing. 
drums. You know? oh, that is, oh, yeah, absolutely. What about drums? I hear that. I, I know nothing about sound recording, mm -hmm. but I hear that trying to get drum, like record drums is like the worst thing ever. Is that real? Um, well, it might be for other people. Oh, ooh, <laughs> shots fired. All right. No, I mean, well, it's a lot of mics. It, it is. It is a lot of mics and it gets very expensive to do well. I mean, yeah. you know, and you can you can make a great sounding drum recording with, you know, three mics if you have a good sounding room. But you need a good sounding mm -hmm. room and good mics are nice and good pre's are nice. You know, um, it is it is a if you don't know what you're doing, it's easy to screw up for sure, mm. because especially with like phasing and stuff like that, because you have mics pointed in different directions and. And you want to make sure that, um, like the, you know, I, I almost exclusively use for my overheads, for example, what I almost exclusively use is what's called the Glenn Johns technique named after Glenn Johns, um, who yeah, yeah. I bet Steve knows who Glenn is. Um, I do. Who, who is Glenn Johns? Who is, why would, why, well, he why was, should I know him? I know him from the Beatles. Uh, Did he work with the correct? Beatles? No, wasn't Glenn Johns, Glenn Johns on Abbey Road? Or I, oh, that's that's um um. Oh, Alan Parsons. Yeah, no? Al, Al, Alan. I Alan might have done some work. Alan Parsons recorded Dark Side of the Moon. Um, yes, but he was an engineer, I believe. Yeah, he on was Abbey Road. Yeah, he was at Abbey Road. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm. Oh no. So, uh, so Glenn Johns recorded the Eagles. Um, he recorded Zeppelin. Um, yep. so like John Bonham's drum sounds are the sound of. Well, John Bonham, but Glenn, John. uh, Glenn okay. Johns did those. Um, yeah. And what it is is it's it's a it's a ribbon or a large diaphragm uh, condenser above the snare drum, like one of them above the snare drum, and then the other one over the drummer's right shoulder, typically. So, like over by the by the floor tom, and behind it. And what you do is you take you get all geeky and you get your tape measure, or you could use a mic cable if you didn't have a tape measure, but get a tape measure and you run it up to the exact height of the one above the snare. And then you tip it back and you measure the exact equidistant shot of the mic over the drummer's shoulder to that snare. And you point them both to the same spot on the snare. And then you can add additional drums miking as, as desired, you know, typically traditionally it's those two mics and then a kick mic, but I just use those two mics and then, go to town that's it no no that's no no. It. i go to town on the rest of the mic okay oh. you know I, I i like yesterday i had a session with tanner soften and i had uh two kick mics and and actually this was pretty simple because there was no times that were going to be used i mean it was really just kick and snare but i had two kick mics i had two tube mics as the overheads and then i had a stereo ribbon mic um, that was set exactly equidistant in the front of the kit, pointing down, you know, so measured from the snare. And uh, then I had a top snare mic and a bottom snare mic, and that's what I used because I didn't mic any toms. But if I had done toms, then I would have probably also mic the toms. But so that's what eight microphones for two drums? Is that right? Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of mics. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I, I lost track. Yeah, yeah, it's it's two, four, six. Yeah, eight. Yeah. So okay. So I would have had ten or more had I had the toms. You know. Wow. Um, but 
you know. Well, so okay, so how did you get from uh your little your seven by seven box to where you are with all the microphones today? Um mm-hmm. unhealthy obsession. So yeah, oh, yeah. there we go. So, huh? so addiction. So we we uh in 2007, we were in a little 816 square foot house and over here in Oak Hills. And I was recording in the basement and it was all very boxy as you might expect, given what it was. Um, but uh, uh, we had our third child and uh, my wife and I. And so the boys were both sharing a bedroom and we were in a bedroom with our new daughter. And um, we had a daycare out of the house and we had a recording studio out of the house and we also lived there. And it was 816 square feet um, plus the basement. Wow. So, you know, 1600, I guess, included. Sure. But um, so we built a new house just down the road uh, on the other side of Northwest 48th. And mm-hmm. um, when we built the house, uh, this was right before the bottom fell out you know in 2008 yep. and can relate yeah and and so the builder was very willing to do anything i wanted <laughs> and <laughs> and, sure. and he may not have done it all as well as i wanted but he did it what i needed and so when we built the house i had him build oh man team um hindsight because it was 42 by 14 and it was essentially a third it was essentially a hold on. Th- boy, the recording's in progress. What's going on here? Hold on a second, guys. Everything froze. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. That was I'll, I will I will uh mark a little time on that and I'll try to edit that glitch out because Zoom just completely borked out. <laughs> well, I, I think it's it's probably my at this point. Can interface. we blame Mercury, the planet? Sure. Is Mercury in retrograde, retrograde at this point? Sure, why it's not? It's daylight savings time. That's it. It's Zoom is tired. And solar flares. Yeah, it could be that. And aliens. Could be solar flares. Uh, where do where do where should we pick up? So, so anyway, anyway were... so so we built this house and and, and yeah. in it, um, I had them build what would have been a third stall for anybody else. A big ass third stall with 12 foot ceiling. Sure. And so it was either put a giant recreational vehicle in there, start a welding shop, or start a recording studio in there. And so mm. I made the poor choice and <laughs> elected to build a recording studio in there, which was actually always the plan. Um, I don't think that's a poor choice at all, dude, because I feel like you chose like you could go. You could be. Well, am I going to be that guy with the with the with the four wheelers in that? Or am I just going to But you chose creativity? You chose like a, a your passion, right? Is that accurate? Um, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I must be a passion. I keep doing it. You know, and I'm, yeah. I, and I'm not making any money. I just buy more gear, you know, yeah. so that's when, you know, right, right. You know, if, if, if this was a smart move, I wouldn't be going to a day job, you know, but, um, right. but, but yeah, so I, so inside of then that space, I then built the studio. Um, and so it's got, you know, floated live rooms so completely decoupled from the outside world. Um, you know, so I can have a band blasting away in there at 2 a.m. And my wife will, you know, we're attached to the house. My wife can sure. be in the bedroom sleeping. And, you know, I've been in here now functioning as a studio for 10 years in this space. I have never had a cop called. Never. Wow. Oh, wow. And, and 
you know, I've talked to my neighbors, you know, but I, I can go outside and there can be a band really loud in here. And if you were my neighbor and you called me in, you'd be a real jerk because I mean, it, it sounds about as loud as a small radio sitting in the garage playing, you know, with the door open, you know, it's not, sure. it's not loud. You know, I mean, hmm. Northwest 48th is behind me and you know, I can record very, very, very quiet things in the live room, you know, uh, and never hear any traffic at all. You know? Yeah, it's true. You kind of need it to go both ways, don't you? Yeah. 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 I mean, You're isolated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's a very heavy traffic road and, you know, nobody has mufflers on their trucks anymore, you know, and so right. they're going by on Northwest 48, just, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, you don't hear them. I mean, every once in a while in this room where I'm at now, you can hear it a little bit. Um, but in the room back here, um, never. So. No airplane noise going overhead. I was in the live room one time when there was a huge thunderstorm blasting away outside, and I did not know it. And I walked out of the room That's and looked awesome. out the back door, and I was like, "Holy shit!" So like, I need to, That's I crazy. need to unplug everything. <laughs> and That's, so, yeah, it's quiet. It's really quiet. There's, That's cool. I mean, to I'll, I'll give you the the construction of the room of the live room so the the live room is the exterior shell which is you know a, a two by four two by six whatever it is uh walls and then insulation in there and then there is resilient channel which was overdone but there's resilient channel that's mounted on those studs and then drywall is screwed into those resilient channels so there's a five eighths inch sheet of drywall in that resilient channel then there is a half inch sheet of osb which is oriented strand OSB. oriented strand board. It's plywood, basically. Okay. Plywood, um, yeah. And then there's another layer of half-inch drywall on top of that. And so every seam is caulked with acoustic mm-hmm. caulk. Um, and so that is the walls and the ceiling, you know, all the way around. Then inside of there, I built on the concrete floor a four-by-four four frame that sits on top of neoprene rubber pucks. Oh, wow. So there's neoprene rubber pucks set across the whole floor at 16 inches on center all the way around the floor. Then there's that frame built on top of that. Then on top of that is four layers of subfloor. So so four of them are, if I remember right, or three of them are three-quarter inch thick, and one of them is, is five-eighths inch thick. The top layer then has a thing called green glue which is like a sound dampening compound that costs more than gas these days. Uh-huh. And oh, that's that's I was, too. I was being timely with that joke. Um, uh-huh. But anyway, so a there's pain, a lot of pain pump. at the pump these that's, days. guys. That's right. right. That's right. Mark, Mark episode 69 is the day where we are taking it at the there pump. You go. Um, there you go. Oh boy. There we go. Yeah, pump pain. Yeah, pump pain. This, we're going to call this pump, pump pain, pain with Chris. So anyway, so so there's this sound dampening compound that like deadens sound and vibration that sits on top of that. And then on top of that is a, another room that's built on top of that deck. And so there's a two by four framed walls and then a ceiling on top of that. Oh, and then I'm sorry, in, in the space too, there's 12 inches of insulation jammed into that six inch space above, you know, in the frame. And so anyway, so then there's another room that's built on top of that, you know, the framing, more insulation, wiring, all of that fun stuff. And then on top of that, 
is another five eighths inch sheet of drywall and then more green glue and then another five eighths inch sheet, five eighths inch sheet of drywall. So how much would it cost me to rent that for an hour so I can do some primal screaming <laughs> and no one can hear me? You know, what's the, what's uh, the price point on uh, that? Uh, do you need me to mic it up or do you just want to stand in? Nah, dude, uh, just leave me alone. <laughs> just shut the doors. Just, and I just need just to bring me a nice, bring me a nice blizzard from Dairy Queen and, and we'll call it. Oh, you got yeah. it. Reese's peanut butter club. Cut blizzard. Food. I feel like that's an untapped market, Chris. The primal that's scream. Real, like, <laughs> just, just, yeah, just primal scream therapy. Just come on in and scream 20 bucks an hour. You jam. My wife and there. her friend for my wife's birthday went to that that place where they just let you they give you they give you sledgehammers and shit for like an hour. You just break oh, glass. Yeah. I wouldn't I'm like, I wouldn't want to do I that am, in here. I might can't well no. I mean I might cancel my therapist and just do that, but I'm like, maybe if I could pair that like one month do a bunch of breakables and then the next right. month an hour in chris's studio primal screaming i probably wouldn't I mean, need therapy what we could do is we could put some tears for fears on in here as you're walking through the control <laughs> room so you can prep <laughs> head over heels just head over heels shout. as loud as it goes shout. 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 Okay. Yeah, i mean that's, that is actually about up. primal screaming you know i know head over heels is where i Dude, go I, I, I honestly i love any tears for fears song I don't think there's one. They're on tour. Dude, I got their They're new like, album. It's awesome. It's awesome. I can't wait. Well, that's what I'm doing this afternoon then. Yeah. I bought it on vinyl. I spent way too much money for that stupid thing. But, that yeah. happens with vinyl. Mm -hmm. That was like 40 mm -hmm. bucks for vinyl. I'm like, okay. That's, yeah. Like, I don't do that very that's, often. But. Our friend, uh, Greg. I don't know if you know Greg Wright, but he's he sometimes says like, "What is the appeal about vinyl? Is it the cost or the convenience?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, man, all right." I think the appeal, personally, I think the appeal is that there is no other physical musical collection device that's worth having any longer. You know what I mean? It's like you yeah. get it on CD. What are you going to do? You're going to it's not as good as somebody could have just handed it to you, you know, because you can get a 24 bit file and a wave file, or you can get this freaking, right. you know, I can give you a 24 bit 96 K, which is to the lay person, really high definition file. Yeah. That's the way I recorded it. Or I can give you this dithered thing at 16 bit 44.1, which doesn't sound nearly as good as so at that point, just give me the MP3. Cause you know, mm, right. Um, but yeah, so Spotify, I mean, vinyl is worth having on some level even okay oh, yeah, so let's agree that great i guess let's expand that a little bit for people that are wondering like why why would you hassle with all that there's a, is it is it the for me it's part part of the thing with the vinyl is the much like certain other things it's like the ritual of it mm -hmm. joel and i've talked yeah. about this yes where you have this tangible thing and you can read it and you can see it and you can smell it and you can mm -hmm. the art is uh it's in your face. You know, it's a big thing. It's not this little postage stamp size deal. And you get gate folds and all that. And then there's the thing of taking it and putting it on the turntable mm -hmm. very carefully, mm -hmm. cleaning the record. If you know, you're so inclined and then very carefully with the stylus and all that and watching the stylus hit the group and hearing that contact. Mm -hmm. And then that thing, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to sit and watch my dad's turntables, just fascinated by that process that the, the needle made those sounds come out of those speakers. Mm. And that just that part of it is something that is lost on phones or whatever. But the but the technical is it is it because with digital it's like slices of sound and on vinyl it's well, it's a continuous thing. Keep in mind 
that 99% of the vinyl that's being produced today is digital. I mean, sure. You know, it's yeah, like recorded digitally. It's already recorded digitally. And I mean, yeah, almost yeah. nobody's doing analog anymore because it's so expensive. You know, so there's I don't buy records that I know are recorded digitally. Well, I will. I mean, you know, well, I mean, I've done a lot of records that have been or, you know, albums that have been put out. on. OK. Vinyl. And and so they do sound different, you know, um, okay. you know, but the thing is, arguably, the thing I think the thing that a lot of people like about digital or pardon me, vinyl at this point is one, it's just most people have no idea. I mean, you try to explain to them and get them to hear the difference between an MP3 and a high definition, you know, master quality file. They can't hear it anyway. I mean, they, right. they could if they sat in here and I stuck their head between the speakers. But, you know, right. they most people are listening on their damn phone. You know, I mean, I have yeah, people yeah. who are listening to the their mixes and approving mixes with a phone. I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. Um, mm. But, you know, point is that, you know, a lot of people like they like the the romance of vinyl. Mm -hmm. um, me. Yeah. Well, I do, too. You know, um, it sounds it does sound different, though. I mean, and it's got mm -hmm. a bit more, you know, maybe it's just my turntable in the house because I don't have a great turntable. I need a better one. But it's there's still there's there's more of a mid range honk to vinyl because, well, I mean, first of all, you're, you're not going to get the bass out of that like you would a digital file. Because mm -hmm. the groove isn't deep enough, you know, and if, if the groove is deep enough, you know, you got a really expensive piece of plastic there, you know, um, yeah. and the highs once again, too, you know, the, the, the dynamic range is, or the, you know, dynamic range is just not as high. Um, it sounds different. You hear some crackles and stuff, um, you know, and most people have cheap turntables and they, they hear, they, you know, they hear warble because the belt isn't you know running it consistently mm, it's warner you yeah. know but but yeah i mean they're like well vinyl just sounds warmer you know it sounds better when it's on vinyl it's like, it was still ones and zeros you know the <laughs> damn thing was recorded with ones and zeros and yeah. and into your question about how you know the difference between digital and, and analog you know in the old days and you probably know this but in the old days when you use tape Tape had there's essentially little metal bars that mm -hmm. are stuck to this tape. And then when it goes over the tape head, it arranges those metal bars in in a way that approximates a waveform, you know, or you know, mm, resembles sure. a waveform. Except that when those metal bars do that, they don't just line up perfectly. They lay over the top of each other. And mm -hmm. and the harder you hit it, the more saturated it is and sure and so that sound is what people heard when they heard tape and they're like this sounds great you know because it was it was imperfect you know so it added this quote-unquote warm feeling and you know it was it, it was cohesive on some level and so then they you know they went to digital and it was ones and zeros well those will never lay over the top of each other you know right. they are separate and if you look at a digital, you know, like Nyquist, and you look at Nyquist, and you look at the digital waveform, it's blocks, it's steps. And the mm -hmm. more steps you can include into that, into that sound wave, 
you know, a representation of sound wave, be more cohesive it sounds, but it will never sound like tape. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do things to add saturation and, and stuff like that. And you can do lots of things on the front end to improve that sense of, you know, saturation and, and cohesiveness, but it's still not tape, you know, and sure. And so when you run tape to vinyl, you know, you're taking that with it. You know, when you're running digital vinyl, you're going from a digital realm back into analog. And, but, you know, once again, at the same time, a reprint of, you know, an old Beatles album on vinyl is probably coming off of digital. You know, they took the tape, they put it onto a high res digital file, and then they take it off the digital file and they put it back onto vinyl. Now that you mention it, yeah, I mean, realistically, <laughs> that's thanks, what they're thanks doing. For, thanks for ruining my collection, well, Chris. You know, just make sure that you've got <laughs> vinyl that was pressed before, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's why, you know, that's why people obsess about the original pressings of stuff, you know, because yeah. they just want it, you know, collectivity. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I, I think that all of that science is really interesting and thank you for explaining that because I didn't really understand what was really going on with that. Like I I'm a layman, but I, there is a, there is an album that means a great deal to me tools, lateralis album. And I only heard that over CD and, Mm. and streaming services for the longest time. But then I bought, I bought it on vinyl. I don't know if it was recorded on tape or not. I have no idea. But when I sat that sat down and listened to that on vinyl, it it made me cry. Mm-hmm. Like I was like I was hearing it differently. Mm-hmm. So even if it's transferred from digital, like it it there is a there is a I don't know. It's a more connected, a more connected. Well, I, sound. I totally agree. I mean, I was really excited when I got that when I got that Tears for Fears album the other day. I mean, I ran downstairs mm-hmm. and threw that thing on and and you know, turned it up, turned it up on my hi-fi. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I loved it. You know, it is, yeah. it's, it's more fun than digital. It is. Yeah. It's more fun yeah, because it, it, it's more fun because it's, it's not immediate. Yeah. Like you have to, like I was saying last week, like you have to deal with it. Like I, you have to deal with it. You have to clean it. You have to put it on there. You have to make sure it's not scratched. You have to, you know, when you take it home from the record store, you have to make sure it's not too hot in the car. You, you have to do you have to do your record shopping last in the summer, right? So you don't leave it in the car while you're in high B mm-hmm. getting groceries. You know what I it's mean? It's like frozen food, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. have to like take care of it. It's like chicken, the chicken nuggets of mediums. The, <laughs> the ice cream. Well, ice cream. Ice cream. I, there we go. Ice cream. Yeah, uh, the, go. Yeah, but, the gelato. There we go. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. You know, I mean, it's it is some- an active process because digital music it sort of changed things into background music, everything, you know, so you can turn that thing on and you can tell it to play in any order you want and, and you can fire it up and you can wander off and do something else. And depending on where you've started that thing up, that thing will still be running in three hours. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas if you go and you put on a record, it's like, you got about about 22 minutes. Yeah, You're engaged in that process for 20 minutes, 22 minutes. And, yeah. yeah, you know, it's just I I think we should all go back to that and you know should all start driving 1977 Pintos. <laughs> well, that's I do this uh, assi- assignment in my script analysis class where I make 
make, I assign uh, <laughs> as one of the assignments is the students have to listen to a, an album of my choosing. And, and typically it's Radiohead's OK Computer album. Okay. And I just have, and just for, I mean, would they analyze it like a play script, but what I, the real reason is that I want to introduce them to the idea of listening from something from track one to track 14. Like you have to deal with the sequence. You have to deal with the album art. You have to deal with the whole thing. You, you have, have to have an attention span. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's real. It really is that like to kind of scramble their brains about what performances sure but really the real assignment is they have to deal with an album right <laughs> like because they 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 would skip around they would you know right. but i make them listen to it and talk about the sequencing and mm-hmm. talk about the album art and make them read reviews from 1996 or whatever so those ancient one of the, days one, well <laughs> right. one one of the best classes i've ever taken was at northern virginia community college i was maybe a year or two out of high school it was a jazz appreciation class that i took because sounded better than math or english um but the first class the the professor instructor guy we just walked in and he was didn't say much and then he went and turned on the turned off the lights and put on a record of a solo it was probably coltrane but i don't remember just one guy playing saxophone just a 20 minute long solo blues based you know but kind of slow and melancholy but that was it we just sat in the dark for 20 minutes and listened to that guy play the saxophone. Mm. And that was one of the most meaningful educational experiences I've had because that was, I mean, I kind of did that. It's different doing that than it is to like, you know, the second side of dark side of the moon or whatever. It's a different experience. Um, but that just that thing of listen to what this person is saying. Mm. That was his point is this person is saying something and that when he turned on the lights, he's like, what did he say? Wow. And we were a bunch of, you know, suburban punk kids trying to get out of doing real work and didn't have a lot to say, but it was certainly food for thought. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's the argument too, right? Just sit and think about it. Even if you're wrong, you know, yeah. even if you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. What is well, it? What do you, what's coming up for you? You know, like just, respond somehow mm-hmm. you know well and there's when, when, when it's he, subjective like that there is no wrong anyway for the most part but sure exactly. well i think he just wanted he wanted that was his way of introducing us to the next you know nine weeks of our lives with him right yeah right which was kind of profound at the time i kind of it was a good it was a good education Chris, when you when you record artists like what are some significant maybe artists that you've recorded and do you feel like like, what's the point? Like, do you, do you feel like <clears throat> you have, you are looking for ways to enhance what they're bringing to the table? Or do you have artists that like, don't really know what they want and you have to like fill in the gaps artistically? Like, what is your, what do you feel like your role is in the recording process? Um, you know, the, it's, it's kind of wide in that realm because I mean, some people come in and yeah, they, they, kind of have it in their head what they think they want um but they don't really know what they want and you know my number one job is is to look at an artist and and interpret what it is they're trying to do and how much of my own interpretation gets put into that um you know varies from project to project you know mm-hmm. um you know because i mean we do i do albums and then i also work with bcn where we do you know live concert streaming stuff and Mm -hmm. you know 
Uh, I want to inter- interject for a second. Ba- BCN is Basement Creators Basement Network. Creators Network. Um, yeah, yeah. And we haven't been doing a lot of streaming anymore because Facebook kind of screwed us on that. But, um, oh. you know, they're just making it a lot harder. And it was all we were also just working too damn hard with that. But I digress. Um, so anyway, you know, an artist that comes in, um, my, my first goal is to interpret what they're doing and try to make it come across as best it possibly can you know certain artists know things about the tools in this space and other artists know nothing about it you know um but i generally listen to the music and i kind of bring my own interpretation to whatever genre they're you know trying to or they seem to be a part of um Mm. you know so uh, you know i i you will find me in everything I've ever done, if that makes sense, you know, Um, and it is my interpretation of what it is that you think you're doing or want to do. And, but, um, you know, for example, with mixing and things like that, generally speaking, I don't allow the artist to sit in the room. Hmm. Um, There, there are some variations on that. Um, At least I don't let them sit in the room initially. Sure. Because I, I don't want them to know how the sausage is made. Because there are certain <laughs> things that I do that they might go, wait a minute. You know, it's huh. like, yeah. what do you mean I'm not perfect? It's like, no, you're not perfect. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, you know, and so uh, so there's that, you know. And also, I don't want, like, the drummer sitting behind me telling me he needs more drums and the guitar player sitting behind me telling me he needs more guitars and... <laughs> You know, right. every yeah. every player says, I need to hear more of me. And it's like, no, you all need to get the hell out of my room, you know. And yeah. so so what I do is I do a mix for them and then I hand it to them and then they come back to me and they go, I hate it or I love it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever it needs mm-hmm. to happen. Um, but, you know, through the process of the albums themselves, uh, you know, I produce some stuff more heavily than others. So there's some artists who come in and they're just like, this is how we're going to do this. Um, and there's other artists that come in and I'm just like, okay, um, go in there and do it this way. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I am, I am not a great musician. Um, you know, some, some people who are music producers or, or recording engineers, they, they're really good musicians who come from it in that, you know, vein. I, for my part, I have, obsessions with sound and the way things fit together in a mix and the way certain elements sound and and you know the music is obviously very important um but i also enjoy going out into a field and recording bugs on a july night you know i mean sure i i just like sound and so my goal when recording almost everything is to make it as big as possible and larger than life um you know, and sometimes maybe that's inappropriate, but that's hmm. generally, you know, because some some things are like, well, it would be better if it wasn't so big. You know, this is a small, intimate song and you made it sound like it's in the stadium, you know, um, hmm. but I can pull that back too. you know, that's where the sure. artist comes in and says, hey, you know, fix this. Um, you know, I don't know if I've answered the question, but no, that's fascinating. Did, yeah. I mean, I think I think what I heard there is that you are you are an appreciator of sound. 
more so than you are trying to put your own personal stamp on everything. You're trying to enhance the sound that the artist wants while also bringing your expertise to the table. And sometimes you have to, you have to almost um, supersede the artist in a way on certain things without them knowing about it. Like this, you don't know what's good for you right here. And maybe you have to acquiesce to their demand. I mean, that just sounds like a really tenuous and interesting you know, balancing. Yeah, my, my goal basically at the end of the day is to try to determine what it is the artist is trying to do and then make that happen for them. You know, nice. So yeah. for them, for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not my album. It's their album. Right. You know, I'm right. You know, I, I do, I'll do my own little things for myself, you know, and do that the way I exactly the way I want it that's not to say i won't sit there and argue with an artist i mean i have right over there mixed like (laughs) okay listen what you're asking for you know isn't a good idea or whatever you know but you know at the end of the day if they're paying me i'm gonna shut up (laughs) right (laughs) let them have what they want you know that's right uh, are are there any are there any recording recordings albums artists snippet snippets of things whatever that you are most proud of that you find like you were really, really proud of the way that album went or that um, song went or both albums I've done for the hanging cowboys. I love, Oh I, yeah. I, I still listen to those for fun. Um, sure. Both albums or yeah, both albums that I did with, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, Hey, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a bit of a masturbatory plug, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm really proud of the stuff that I did with Magma Melodier. Um, which was a band yeah. that I was in, but you know, I didn't do that all on my own. That was you know, the whole band was made up of producer sound guy types, and it was mm-hmm. you know recorded here, um, you know, with everybody involved, and and some of it was recorded over at Mark Hansen's too. And without Mark in there, I mean, he added a huge amount to that, but and then it was mixed by Eric Medley, who has since unfortunately passed. Mm-hmm um Mm -hmm. but uh you know so that was but that's very proud of that um Mm -hmm. uh i did a a mix for edam uh soul music uh kegi um out of or is it garona edam soul music out of uh uh, omaha um, that i'm very proud of she recorded that herself in her house and then i just mixed it for her um you know i Dude, I've done so much over the years that honestly I can't even remember. And then once, you know, once again, once we started doing BCN hard and heavy, you know, we were really doing that really heavily um, before the pandemic started. And, you know, in that one year, I did 50, 60 live albums. Wow. I mean, it was just nonstop, you know. That's amazing. And oh, yeah, it's all I did for you know, a year and a half. Um, and we were doing it all for free. <laughs> so at some point I just had to kind of pull back, but there's some stuff in yeah. there that I was really proud of too, you know, and it's, it's more about the bands, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Emily Bass. Um, I did a couple of live recordings for her and I, I have talked to her about doing an album in here too. And, you know, we may or may not get that done, but um, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to pinpoint one thing, honestly, but sure. Sure. So, uh, you've mentioned the tears for fears album. One of the things we usually ask people guess is, um, what, what do you, what do you, what do you 
enjoying currently? Um, while I love to record acoustic instruments and rock and roll and country and guitars and bass and drums, I have been lately listening to a lot of uh, DJ Crush and um, Portishead. And yeah. uh, I, I still listen to Tears for Fears a lot. Um, I listen to the church a lot. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to, you know, bad rock stuff. Um, Dad rock. You know, Dad rock. Most of the new stuff I listen to is stuff that I'm producing. Honestly, sure. um, I tried to. I'd kind of forgotten about the church. One of my friends, my senior high school, was a, just a freak about the church. So we listened to a lot of that. Mm. It's good stuff. Oh, dude. And they've got like to revisit that. 30 albums. Yeah, and yeah. most of them are good. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. a few in there that are owners, but. <clears throat> I always forget about Portishead when I'm trying to find that right sound. And I'm like, what do I want to listen to? And I'm like, I should remember Portishead. I have got dummy on, on vinyl, but they're so great. Oh, yeah. that live in NYC, that live in NYC album they did is just yeah. brutally. Are you guys going to go see thievery corporation when they're in town? I, yes, yeah. I really want to see the, I love them. Where's yeah. that at? It's at the bourbon. It's at the bourbon. It's at the bourbon. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. And uh, yeah, we bought, uh, tickets for four at a table. So we're like, nice. We're just sitting nice. there with our drink and look, we're going to sit there like swales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very right on. Look at all of those poor people having to stand. Look at right the poor. Look, look at the right. poor. So, <laughs> someone bring me another Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> right <laughs> garçon gargoyle <laughs> yeah gargoyle oh god well man uh we're bumping up against our hour ish here uh y- any final thoughts just thanks for having me good time yeah, it was good seeing yeah, you man. man absolutely you too we uh you know maybe we'll meet in meet space one of these days yeah yeah in meet space yes yes we're that'd be good like people we're, we are like, forced to share now. air yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Spread droplets. Exactly. They're spread droplets. Aeros- oh my god. Aerosolize each other. <laughs> oh, there's a song in there somewhere. Yeah, that's that's Steve and I's first album that we record with you. We have a we have a little outfit. Um <laughs> co- what was our fucking band name, dude? Wall, Wall of Forever. Wall of Forever, yeah. where we play acoustic covers of of 80s butt rock. I was gonna say that <laughs> and that's uh, that that band name sounds like it came straight out of like lexington nebraska right and and our first album will be called suck our droplet <laughs> you heard it here first oh, folks. you heard it here suck our droplets wall of forever as soon as we get back from our extensive world tour we're gonna record this album we've never even talked about wall of forever on this podcast which oh my is god well, that's a whole other thing yeah that's, all right that's well, for the patreon chris, subscribers that's right chris thanks so much for your time dude that's yeah, yeah. man this has been great all right later
don't forget, toot your hooter.